Chapter 11 of The Orphan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Orphan by Clarence E. Mulford. Chapter 11 A Voice from the Gallery. Matters were fast coming to a head as far as the sheriff and the cross bar eight were concerned. The loss of the five men who had won the friendship of their fellows, the reign of terror caused by the outlaw, the loss of their cook, the devastation and the extra work had only deepened the hatred which the members of the outfit held for the orphan. And it went farther than the orphan. Sneed was not long in learning what took place at the stage, and of the driver's loyalty to the outlaw, because Bill would talk. And the working of his mind was the same as that of his men, for it followed the line of least resistance. Questions of the nature of arraignments, and which were answerable by the outfit in only one way, constantly presented themselves in the minds of the men. They asked themselves why it was that a man of the sheriff's proven courage, marksmanship, and cleverness should fail to get the man who so terrorized the ranch. Why was the sheriff so apparently reluctant to take up the chase in earnest and push it to a finish? Why was he so firm against the assistance of the ranchmen? Why did he keep to his determination to allow no lynch law when the evil was so great and the danger so pressing? And he was prepared to go to great lengths to see that his orders were not disobeyed, as proven by the scene at the corral. Why could he have not overlooked one lynching party when property was being destroyed and lives in danger? And why had the outrages suddenly ceased when Shields took charge of the defense of the ranch? There had been no molestation, not a shot had been fired, not a cow killed. And how was it that a flower-pot, which Shields had admitted as belonging to his wife, had been placed at a point hardly two hundred yards in front of the peace officer as he lay on guard? It was true that it was out of line of him and the lights, but that could be explained by events. From whom did the orphan learn of the trap set for him? and all of its details, even to the placing of the men, enabling him to avoid the eager deputies and choose the position occupied by the sheriff when he had so recklessly flaunted his contempt from a pile of sand. The cowboys were naturally enough warped and prejudiced because of their blind rage and hatred, and the questions which ran so riotously through their minds found their answers waiting for them. In fact, the answers induced the questions and each recurrence gave them added weight until they ceased to be questions and became, in reality, statements of facts. Bill had talked too much when he had told in careful detail of the attention shown the orphan by the sheriff's sister, and to minds eager for confirmation of their suspicions this was the crowning proof of the double-dealing of the sheriff. And to make matters worse, Tex Williard, who was as unscrupulous a man as ever wore the garb of honesty, had tried to force his attentions on Helen when she rode for exercise. His ideas of women had been developed among those who frequented frontier barrooms, and he was enraged at his rebuff, which had been sharp and final. She actually preferred a murdering outlaw to a hard-working cowboy. His profane oratory as to the collusion, or at least passive sympathy between the sheriff and the outlaw, found eager ears and receptive minds awaiting the torch of initiative, and it was not long before low-voiced consultations began to plan a drastic course of action. 
Credit must be given to Sneed, because he knew only of the natural discontent and nothing of what was in the wind. Had he known what was brewing, he would have stamped it out with no uncertain force, for he was wise enough to realize the folly of increasing the antagonism which already was held by Ford's station for his ranch. At first the conspirators had hopes of undermining shields among the citizens of the town, not knowing the feeling there as well as their foreman knew it, but they were wise enough to go about it cautiously. And the returns justified their caution, for they found the inhabitants of Ford Station unassailably loyal to the peace officer. To accuse him, either directly or by suggestion, of double-dealing would be to array the two-score inhabitants of the town on his side in hot and belligerent partisanship, and this they wished to avoid by all means, for they had no stomach for such a war as might easily follow. They then hit upon what appeared to them to be an excellent plan, inasmuch as it was indirect and would give the results desired, and the medium was to be the driver. The talkative one had shown more than passing friendliness for the orphan, and they had his boasting words for it, and he could not deny it. For Bill was very proud of the part he had played on that memorable day, and he took delight in recounting the conversation he had held with the outfit at the coach, and he had a way of adding to the tartness of his repartee in its repetition. Tex Williard reasoned from experience that it would not appear at all strange and unusual for Bill to be called to account for his friendliness and assistance to the outlaw and for his contemptuous words concerning the cowboys, if it was done by some member or members of the ranch as a personal affair and without the appearance of being sanctioned by the foreman. And through the driver he hoped to strike at Shields, for the sheriff would not remain passive in such an event. And once he was drawn into a brawl, hot tempers or accident would be the plea if he should be killed. The apologies and remorse of the sorrowful participants could be profound, and thus was cold-blooded murder planned by the very men who reviled the orphan because they claimed he was a murderer, and who cried aloud for his death on that charge. Tex was the ringleader, and in his own way he was not without cunning, and neither was he lacking in daring. He selected his assistants for the game with cool, calculating judgment. The three he finally decided upon were reckless and not lacking in intelligence and physical courage for such work. After having made his selection, he sounded them carefully, and finally made his plans known, going into minute rehearsal of every phase and detail of the game with thoughtful care and studied sequence. When he believed them to be well drilled, he fixed upon the time and place and caused word to get to Bill that he might expect trouble for his assistance to the orphan, and for having had a hand in sending the five cowboys to their deaths. The news immediately reached the ears of the sheriff, who determined to see that Bill received no injury at the hands of the crossbar eight. He quietly made up his mind to be near the stage route on the days when Bill drove through the defile of the backbone, and to be within call if he should be needed. If he should think it necessary, he would even go so far as to become a regular passenger in the coach until the trouble died down. To the masterly driving and cool-headed courage of Bill, no less than to the daring and accuracy of the orphan, was the sheriff indebted for the lives of his sisters. And the protection of Bill clove close to the line of duty, 
and not one whit less to the line of law and order. Bill laughed and boasted and made a joke of the thought of any danger from the malcontents of the crossbar eight, and flatly refused to allow the sheriff to ride with him. He talked volubly until the agent profanely sent him on his journey, and he tore through the streets of the town in the same old way. He forded the limping water in safety and crossed the ten-mile stretch of open plain without a sign of trouble. As he left the water of the stream, the sheriff started after him from town, intending to be not far behind him when he entered the rough country. When Bill plunged into the defile through the backbone, he began to grow a little apprehensive, and he intently watched each stretch of the road as each successive turn unfolded it to his sight. His foot was on the brakes, and he was braced to stop the rush of his team at the first glimpse of an obstruction, or to tear past the danger if he could. One coyote yell and one snap of the whip would send the team wild, for they remembered well. All was nice until he neared the place where the orphan had held him up for a smoke, and it was there the trouble occurred. As he swung around the sharp turn, he saw four cowboys bunched squarely in the center of the trail and at such a distance from him that to attempt to dash past them would be to lay himself open to several shots. They had him covered, and as he grasped the situation Tex Willia rode forward and held up his hand. "'Stop!' Tex shouted. "'Get down!' "'What in thunder do you want?' Bill asked, setting the brakes and stopping his team, wonder showing on his face. You came the laconic reply. Get down. What's eating you? Bill asked in no uncertain inflection. Had Tex been less imperative and kept the insulting tone out of his words, Bill might have had time to become afraid, but the sting made him leap over fear to anger, and genuine anger takes small heed of fear. Tex motioned to one of his men, who instantly leaped to the ground and ran to the turn where he knelt behind a rock, his rifle covering the back trail. Then Tex returned to the driver. "'Curiosity is eating me, you half-breed!' he cried. "'Get down! De blank you! Get down! Don't wait all day, neither, do you hear?' "'What the H-blank L do you think I'm a-talking for?' "'Well, I'll be blamed!' ejaculated Bill, wrapping the reins about the back of his seat. "'Anybody would think you was the boss of the earth to hear you. You ain't no road agent. You're only a fool amateur with more gall than brains. But I'll tell you right here and now that if you are playing road agent, I wouldn't be in your fool boots for a cool million. And if you are joking, you are showing the blank bad taste, and don't you forget it. You're holding up a sack of U.S. mail, and if you don't know what that means, shut your face. You talk when I ask you to, shouted Tex as the driver dropped to the ground. But since you're so unholy strong on the palaver, suppose you just explains why you are so all-fired friendly to the orphan. Suppose you lisp why you take such a peculiar interest in his health and happiness. Come now, out with it. This ain't no Quaker meeting. Warble, birdie, warble, jeered one of the cowboys. Sing you. We're sure waiting, darling, jeered another. Tune up and get started, Windy. Well, 
since you talks like that, cried Bill, stung to reckless fury at the cutting contempt of the words, you can go to H. Black L and find out from your fool friends, he shouted, beside himself with rage. Who are you to stick me up and ask questions? It's none of your infernal business who I like, you hog-nosed tanks. Why didn't you bring some decent men with you, you flat-faced skunks? Why didn't you bring Sneed? White men would have told you just what you are if you asked them to help you in your dirty work, wouldn't they? Even a tin-horn gambler, a crooked cheat, would give me more show for my money than you have, you bow-legged coyotes. Ain't you man enough to turn the trick alone, Willard? Can't you play a lone hand in ambush, you bob-tailed flush of a bad man? You're only a lake-mouthed, red-headed wart of a two-by-four puncher, that's what— Tex had been stunned by surprise at such an outburst from a man whom he had always regarded as woefully lacking in courage. Then his face flamed with an insane rage at the taunting insults hurled venomously at him, and he sprang to action as though he had been struck. It would have been bad enough to hear such words from an equal, but from Bill. "'You cur!' he yelled as he leaped forward into the tearing sting of the driver's whip, which had been hanging from his wrist. "'You're the fourth dog I cut today,' Bill said, jerking it back for another try. Tex shivered with pain as the lash cut through his ear as it would have cut through paper, and screamed his words as he avoided the second blow. "'I'll show you if I am man enough. I'll kill you for that, to blank you!' As Tex threw his arms wide open to clinch, Bill leaped aside and drove his heavy fist into the cowman's face as he passed, knocking him sidewise against the wall of the defile, and then struggled like a madman in the toils of two ropes. He was a berserker now, a maniac without a hope of life, and he screamed with rage as he tore frantically at the rough hair ropes, wishing only to destroy, to kill with his bare hands. The blow had not been well placed, being too high for the vital point, but it had smashed the puncher's nose flat to his face, and one eye was fast losing its resemblance to the other. Tex staggered to his feet and returned to the attack, striking savagely at the face of the bound man. Bill avoided the blow by jerking his head aside and snarled like a beast as he drove the heel of his heavy boot into his enemy's stomach. Then everything grew black before his eyes and a roaring sound filled his ears. The rope slackened, and the men who had thrown him head first on a rock leaped from their horses and ran to him. When his senses returned, he found himself bound hand and foot, and under a spur of rock which projected from the bank of the cut. His face was cut and bruised, and his scalp laid open, but through the blood which dripped from his eyebrows, he vaguely saw Tex, bent double and rocking back and forth on the ground intoned moans coming from him with a sound like that made by a rasp on the edge of a box. As Bill's brain cleared, he became conscious of excruciating pains in his head, as if hammers were crashing against his skull. Glancing upward, he saw that a rope ran from his neck to the rock, over it and then to the pommel of a saddle, and his face twitched as its meaning sifted through his mind. Then he thought of the time the orphan had held him up in the defile, how unlike these men the outlaw was. If he could only come now, what joy there would be in the flashing of his gun! 
what ecstasy in the confusion, panic, rout that he would cause. He was dazed, and the throbbing, heavy, monotonous pain dulled him still more. He seemed to be apart from his surroundings, to be an onlooker and not an actor in the game. He wondered if that whip was his. Yes, it must be. Certainly it was. He ought to know his own whip. Of course it was his. He regarded Tex curiously. There had been Indians, or was it some other time? What was Tex doing there on the ground? He struggled to think clearly, and then he knew. But the deadening pain was merciful to him, and it made him apathetic. Was he going to die? Perhaps, but what of it? He didn't care, for then that pain wouldn't beat through him. Tex looked funny. He closed his eyes wearily and seemed to be far away. He was far away, and oh so tired. Tex finally managed to gain his feet and straightened up and revealed his face, bloody and swollen and black from the blow. His words came with a hesitation which suggested pain, and they were mumbled between split and swollen lips. "'Now, de blank you!' he cried brokenly, staggering to the helpless man before him. "'Now, maybe you'll talk. Why do you help the orphan? If you lie, you'll swing.' Bill swayed and his eyes opened, and after an interval he slowly and wearily made reply, for his senses had returned again. "'He saved my life,' he said, "'and I'll help anybody for that.' "'Oh, he did, did he?' jeered Tex. "'And why? That ain't his way, helping strangers at his own risk. Why?' "'There was women.' in the coach. "'Oh, there was, hey?' ironically remarked Tex. "'Maybe he wanted them all to himself, eh?' "'He's a white man, not a cur.' "'He's a cub of the devil, that's what he is,' Tex cried. "'He ain't no orphan, not by a de blank sight. The devil's father, and all hell is his mother. Now I want an answer to this one, and I want it quick. No lie goes.' Why don't the sheriff get busy and camp on his trail? What interest has the sheriff and the orphan in each other? Come on, out with it." "'I don't know,' replied Bill, wishing that the sheriff was at hand to make an appropriate answer. "'Ask him why don't you?' he asked, stretching his neck to ease the hairy, bristling clutch of the lariat. "'Oh, you don't, and you're still cheeky, eh?' cried the inquisitor and you want your de blank neck stretched, do you?" He motioned to the man on the horse at the end of the rope, and Bill straightened up and daylight showed under his heels. As he struggled there was an interruption from the man who covered the back trail. "'Hands up!' he cried. "'Don't move!' Tex signaled for Bill to be let down, and ran backward to the opposite side of the defile until he could see around the turn, and he discovered the sheriff, who sat quietly under the gun of the cowboy. "'Stop! Don't you even wiggle!' cried the guard. "'I'll blow your head off at the first move,' he added in warning. And for once in his eventful life Shields knew that he was absolutely helpless, for the time at least. His hands were clasped over his sombrero, for it would be tiresome to hold them out, 
and he felt that he might have need of fresh, quick muscles before long. "'All right, all right, bub,' he responded in perfect good nature, apparently. "'Don't get nervous and let that gun go off, for it's sure your turn now,' he added, smiling his war-smile. "'Any particular thing you want, or are you just practicing a shortcut to eternity?' I want you to stay just like you are," snapped the man with the drop, and you keep your mouth shut, too. Since it's your last wish, why, it goes," replied the sheriff, ignoring the command for silence. Got any message for your folks? Any keepsakes you'd like to have sent back east? Give me the address of your folks and I'll send them your last words, too. That's enough, sheriff said Tex, moving cautiously forward behind his leveled colt. I'll do all the talking that's necessary. You just listen for a while." "'Well, well,' replied the sheriff, grinning and simulating surprise. "'If here ain't Tex Williard, too. What's your pet psalm, sonny? Good God, what a face!' "'What's that got to do with this?' asked Tex, intently watching for war. "'Oh, nothing, nothing at all.' replied the sheriff. But, Lord, that cayuse of yours sure can kick. Was you tickling it? They do go off like that sometimes. Any of your nose coming out the back of your head yet? But to reply to your touching inquiry, I'll say that the psalm might work in handy after a while, that's all. If you'll only tell me, I'll see that it is sung over your grave. But, honest, how did you get that face? That'll just about do for you," cried the cowboy angrily. And sit still, you," he added. Say, bub," confidentially said Shields, my stomach itches like blazes. Can't I scratch it just once? No! Think I'm a fool?" yelled Tex, his finger tightening on the trigger. You sit still, de blank you! Well, I only wanted to see how much of a fool you really are grinned the sheriff exasperatingly. Judging from your present position, I must say that I thought you didn't have any sense at all. But now I reckon you've got a few brains after all. But suppose you scratch it for me, hey? Just rub it easy-like with your left paw." Tex swore luridly, too tense to realize what a fool the sheriff was making of him. He could think of only one thing at a time, and he was thinking very hard about the sheriff's hands. "'Tut, tut! Don't take it so hard,' jeered the sheriff, smiling pleasantly. "'Now that I know that you are some rational, I suppose you tell me the joke. What's the secret? Who skinned his shin? What in thunder is all this artillery saluting me for?' "'Since you want to know, I'll tell you all right,' replied Tex. "'Why are you and the orphan so de-blanked thick? Don't be all day about it.' You to blanked excuse," responded the sheriff. "You mere accident, as the poet said. It's none of your business. Catch that?" "Yes, I caught it," retorted Tex. "I reckon we needs a new sheriff, and to blanked soon too," he added venomously. "Well, people don't always get what they need," replied Shields easily. "If they did." You would get yours right now, and good and hard, too," he explained, making ready to put up the hardest fight of his life.
three men had him covered, and he knew they would all shoot if he made a move, for they had placed themselves in a desperate situation and could not back out now. He knew that never before had he been in so tight a hole, but he trusted to luck and his own quickness to crawl out with a whole skin. If he was killed, he would have company across the Great Divide, of that he was certain. "'I reckon I'll take your guns for a while, just to be doing something,' Tex said as he advanced a step. "'Maybe that itch will go away, then.' "'I reckon you'll be a de blanked sight wiser if you don't force matters, for they are pretty well forced now,' Shields replied. "'No man gets my guns butts first without getting all mussed up inside. You'll certainly be doing something if you try it.' "'Well, then,' compromised Tex, answer my question." "'And no man gets an answer to a question like that in words,' the sheriff continued, as if there had been no interruption. "'But I'll give you and your white-faced bums a chance for your lives, and I don't wonder the orphan shot up Jimmy neither. Put up your wobbling guns and get out of this country as fast as God will let you. If you ever come back, I'll fill you plumb full of lead.' It's your move, lovely face, and the quicker you do it, the better it'll be for your health." "'Oh, I don't know about that,' replied Tex with a leer and swagger. "'To a man up a tree, it looks like you are up agin a buzzsaw this time.' "'To a man on the ground, it looks like your tin buzzsaw has hit the hardest knot it ever struck. And you'll feel the jar pretty soon, too,' Shields countered his hazel eyes beginning to grow red. "'You put up that gun and scoot before I blow your deblanked head off.' "'I'll give you till I count three to answer my question,' Tex said, ignoring the advice. "'One.' "'The less you count, the longer you live,' said Shields, gripping his horse with his knees in readiness to jump it sideways. Two. "'Afternoon, gents.' said a pleasant voice up above them, and all jumped and looked up. As they did so, Shields jerked his guns loose and laughed softly. "'That itch has plumb gone away,' he said. "'It's a new deal,' he exulted, his face wreathed in grins. End of chapter 11